What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another very special episode with another very special guest. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome, to welcome along kind of a local drama hero to Hertford, from Hertfordshire, and that is the great Mark Stratford. Now, Mark and I are old friends and actors as well. Uh, Mark is an actor, writer and dramaturg who is the founder of Stratford Productions based in Hertfordshire. The link to the website and everything you need to know about his work is down below in the description. Uh, his first solo show, which I was lucky enough to see the other week in Watford, uh, The Strange Case, an, an adaptation of The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, adapted from the novel by the great Lo Robert Louis Stevenson. It was staged for three sold-out performances at the Pump House in Watford, followed by performances at the Brighton Fringe in 2021. His second one-man show, yes, there's two of them, uh, Drama King, which is based on the story of the famous actor-manager McCready, who has a link with Charles Dickens and the inspiration for Nicholas Nickleby. I'm sure we'll talk more about more of that a bit later. Uh, premiered at the Fringes in Watford and Brighton as well. He's also an actor who has appeared in across shows across London's West End, national and foreign tours, repertory theatre, pantomimes, as well as parts in TV, film and radio. His, his uh, shows Jekyll and Hyde and Drama King are embarking on a national tour of the UK, details of which can be found on the website below. And other credits include Judge Haythorne with him, with myself, with the OVO Company in St Albans, as well as a smattering of roles in The Effect by the great Lucy Preble, also with the Company of Ten, also in St Albans. So, Mark, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Hi, Oliver. <laughs> how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. Yeah, glad to have you here. So uh, to begin at the beginning, as Dylan Thomas says, uh, one thing I'd like to open up with is the journey of the actor and, and going from there. So I think when, in your case, acting, writing and adapting, where did it all start for you? Where did it come from? Um, well, I, I suppose like a lot of actors, it goes right back to childhood. So, yeah. you know, I was it's the classic one of performing shows in your bedroom to your grandparents when they come down and dragging my brother and sister into sort of homemade shows um which i would lead direct write you know there was no writing went on we just threw it together yeah. um and and it was uh and that's been with me all my life you know so i would do school assemblies any chance to perform i was in school plays um but actually uh, i had a sort of hiatus i went to i didn't go to to drama school immediately i went and did a degree in physics um there's a long story behind that but um <laughs> I, I hadn't necessarily planned to be an actor um as a living you know um that sort of came later uh after i came out of um of university and then went to be trained to be a teacher back in london and one of the reasons for coming back to london was i had in the back of my mind getting involved in theater again um joined a company in putney called group 64 which is still going they were um but that was the sort of nearest um company to me um and uh, i got involved in some plays and and that led to me getting into drama school for a postgraduate year um and then i came out and started to work in th theater and education is how i got my equity card i, I mean but i'm talking back in 1986 so nowadays getting an equity card um isn't isn't quite so vital to get work i mean back then unless you had an equity card you couldn't get professional work so yeah. a lot of actors that was a big challenge for them to get their equity cards so i got mine through theater and education as i say with a company called the pie piper theater company still operating down in surrey um and then you, you know developed from there you know so um re repertory seasons national tours as you say and and just mm. became a, a jobbing actor really um from that point on 
Nice. Um, which shows across the West End did you appear in? Because I, I looked, but it's not listed on your website. Which ones did you? Oh, right. So, yeah. well, the first one was Singing in the Rain, um, oh, which starred Tommy Steele at the Palladium. Um, uh, I was in the chorus for that, um, playing various parts. Um, <laughs> and then I did, uh, I suppose, the, I did Peter Pan, the British musical, which was at the Cambridge Theatre. Um, and the, I suppose the uh, the the most well-known show was blood brothers um which i performed at the phoenix theater and also um we we performed at the royal alexandra theater a season there over in toronto um wow yeah, so that was good yeah so how was how was toronto what was that experience like uh, toronto is a wonderful city um we were there for five months and um i just i really liked it you know it was a uh, um, we went visiting. You got Niagara near near nearby. You've got um, a great theatre community down in a, in in a place called Stratford, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so it's a lots of great places to visit. Um, really well received. The show was. Uh, we had a couple of Canadian stars in it, which um, and we had David Cassidy as well. The late David Cassidy was in it. Oh, wow, uh, playing Mickey. Um, so it was so it was a very it was very you know we were sold out pretty much every night for the for the 20 week run wow i mean yeah, i mean that's one of the shows i really miss i miss blood brothers because i was lucky enough to see it in town one time but then just other things got in the way and then next thing you know it was gone and it was like oh, it's not coming back it's really annoying but um but yeah um you, i also mentioned there like you worked in repertory theater for for a lot for a little bit uh what was what was that experience like doing like different like you'd be coming into work and it'd be a different show every single night yeah so i mean that that that's almost gone now isn't it the the old repertory i think i came Badly, in right yeah. at the very end of uh, i was lucky enough to get involved with a um a company which was run by um a real old uh, uh traditional uh, um theater manager uh called colin mcintyre and um he was a wonderful character he's no longer with us unfortunately but he mm. he was uh, he ran a weekly repertory seasons up in chesterfield at the pomegranate theater and also nottingham and edinburgh and eastbourne and he would put you know five or six of these mostly agatha christie thrillers mm. um but then he there'd be the odd um non-agatha christie play in there as well and it was yeah you say it was weekly rep you know so we'd go up be part of the company you're a, you're rehearsing one play during the day and and performing another in and in the evening and i i mean i have to say i mean i, I think you do the what it was so much fun it's one of the it's one of the the nicest companies i've ever been part of and i always look back to those those the few seasons that i did with you know a great affection um yeah. I, I i i'm not sure what the standard was like i mean i think that a lot of corners are cut in line learning and um, <laughs> uh, throwing things together, you know, that sometimes in a week, a week is not a long time to put a play on. You know, you literally, people have time to learn the lines, work out the moves, do a few run-throughs and suddenly you're opening on the Monday night. So you're, yeah. you're relying an awful lot on, um, I don't know, uh, whatever experience you've got to, you can to draw upon to, to pull it together. Mm. Well, I mean, what's it like learning like multiple plays at different times i mean that's quite i mean i thought because your one-man shows you know they're you know they're a good hour long each time you know that you've got a big chunk of text but that you've got one focus whereas with rep you've got like two or three different focuses two different characters through three different mentalities to keep in your 
in your brain sort of all at one time and what was that experience like yeah it's i mean we used to get the scripts beforehand so we knew what plays we were doing so there was yeah, time to kind of you just i mean like i do i suppose i the way i learn lines if you're trying to learn lines perhaps um i will bash through my my preferred method is walking around the park basically so yeah. i like I, so i walk around the park um i keep looking at the script i talk go through the line i just keep repeating the line i get to the end of the page and or an end of a section then i'll try to go back through see what i can remember and then just keep building from there and i can walk around um i, I can walk around for eight hours you know i mean my legs are tired at the end of the day but i will literally just go off with a flask a bag of with some flasks of tea and coffee in and some <laughs> sandwiches and crisps and just we got some wonderful I, I live down in Watford there's lots of great places to walk I've got a long canal path which goes the Grand Union Canal and sometimes I would just walk all the way up there as far as I can get and then turn around and start walking back and I, I've done that for um, plays as well as but particularly for my one-man shows yeah the, the only way is to just start at the beginning and and start working through page by page so if you think each script is about 30 pages long and mm. um, um spaced out you know uh, tanks um yeah uh get to the end and walk back and then once you feel com you feel like you've got it then i'll start to record it so i'll do the same thing but i'll just walk along record the whole piece as much as i can remember listen to the recording back when i get home mark in the script all the places i've gone wrong bits <laughs> i've forgotten um before i then i'll go back over them again to, to see the places I've gone wrong and then I'll do the same thing again I'll walk out record the whole thing me walking along I find it's I find I can't sit in a room and do it I can't walk around a room I have to be out and um and just focused on that one thing but yeah I get funny looks I get um people <laughs> alongside the canal barges say calling out to me what are you doing I walk along with a clipboard my script on a clipboard and I've walked through the woods and somebody <laughs> turned to me one day and said excuse me it was a lady walked past me she she walked past me first of all saw that I was muttering to myself and <laughs> thought and and then she she must have gone about 10 yards beyond me and couldn't 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 help herself she had to know what i was up to so she turned around and said excuse me are you from the forestry commission and uh, <laughs> i said no i'm i'm learning my lines for a part oh, <laughs> oh that's fine then i think i don't know what she thought i think she was thought i was going around looking at all the trees and marking them down for which ones were going to be cut down or something she thought i was up to something i shouldn't be some official and i get uh, canal barge people they look at me as if i'm coming along to check their licenses or something because i've got my I look a bit official with my clipboard and i'm talking to myself but anyway uh oh. yeah you, I can see you just walking up and down the canal, muttering Jack, Jekyll and Hyde, and particularly like the, the crazy bit wow. where he becomes Mister Hyde, and the, you, I can imagine the looks like, yeah, is this guy on something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. You suddenly go, ah, and then uh, a, jo a jogger comes around the corner, you know, and uh, you have to sort of <laughs> pretend like you just, you know, <clears throat> just, you know, nothing's, uh, nothing's oh, yeah. unusual here, you know, I've nothing to experience. see. <laughs> <laughs> I think over lockdown, I had this. I used to go for walks every day. You know, we were allowed out for one walk a day throughout that time. And uh, I would I would take my headphones on and I would and I would sing because I'd lost touch with singing. I thought, all right, I'm going to get back into it now. And so I would make sure I was alone, and particularly if I was like doing a, quite a big song. And I was just like, OK, I'm alone. I can just go for it. But then the amount of times I just got lost in the moment and I was doing these things and a family would just cycle by <laughs> just behind <laughs> me. And I'm thinking and they're looking at me like, is this guy on something? And I'm just like, oh, God, OK, just. Okay, just pretend that didn't happen. Just cancel, continue. They don't. They don't know I'm here. They don't know I'm here. But it's all good. Mm. Um, so yeah. So I think that jumps onto your work 
in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Drama King. So we'll start with um, uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, yeah, what made you what was your first uh, introduction to the book? Did you was it in school or was it something you discovered a little bit later than that? Um, well, uh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. And actually, I, I'm, I don't know the answer. It's so long ago. Um, I do know when I started the process of of thinking about doing it for one man show, it was around about 1990. So it took me 24 years from the moment, from having the idea to do it as a one man show to actually doing years. it as a one. Yes, I know it sounds crazy, but see back in 1990, I was a working actor and, um, you know, I, 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 but I'd always had this idea of uh, doing a one man show. I don't know where it came from, but always been interested in solo performance and, um, uh, I thought I was uh, there was a play with the Actors Centre now. I think it's it's all changing, isn't it, at the moment with the Actors Centre? But um, in its, uh, you know, going back, I was, it was full of classes. You could, as actors who were actor members could sign up and and do various classes and join certain things. And one thing I joined was a script writing course. Um, but but in my head, I was thinking maybe I could use this course to start to develop a one one man show um and that's what i brought to the course and they said yep fine so i tried a couple of pages of jekyll and hyde and i think i chose jekyll and hyde i must have come across it i mean it's a well-known novel um you know but i think i probably saw that it I was surprised to find it's actually quite a short novel it's mm. a novella really it's not not long at all seven chapters and you know um and so it lends itself very well to a theater theater adaptation because it because of its it's you know short length um and i thought um, i suppose at the back of my mind but you, you're trying as an actor you're trying to show off your acting range that's really what i was trying to do i thought Absolutely. you know here are the great characters you know dr jekyll um the upstanding uh, respectable doctor popular charismatic and then on at the other extreme you have the evil um miss mr hyde and um i could see a great opportunity to to play both characters and show a, a bit of an acting range there and obviously there are other characters as well that get involved so i thought this could present um it's a well-known story i can see the the opportunities here and look this is not an original idea i mean there have been so many solo shows of jekyll and hyde you know mm. i've seen them i've been to see them through research so i know they're out there um um uh, but anyway, that that's what I decided to do. I tried a couple of pages out. People at the course thought, yeah, that yeah, that could work, you know. Um, and with that in mind, I thought, yeah, okay, fine. And then of course I didn't do anything with it, put it in the drawer, um, went on to other things. Um, and then every so many years I would sort of think, oh, just I'll get that out again. Let's have a look at that. And I'd tinker with it a bit and and put it away. And and this went on for, like I say, 24 years. Wow. So uh, I suppose I always thought I, it never felt it never got it to a stage where I thought it's going to be interesting enough to put in front of an audience. Mm. Um, anyway, long story short, um, I joined the company of 10 in St. Albans. You mentioned them, uh, you mentioned the effect earlier and done, been involved with lots of involvement with them. A great company based at the um, Abbey Theatre in St. Albans, mm -hmm. um, through which I met uh, Joe Emery, who was a director Um and we got talking in the bar one night and I said, yeah, one thing I'd really love to do is a, is a one, one man show. And, and what they, what they have at the company of 10 is a thing called a new view, mm -hmm. which um, is basically, you can turn up in the rehearsal room on a Sunday at 
12 o'clock, book it for an hour. Uh, members can come down, buy a drink, go and go and watch something, a rehearsed reading, somebody trying something out, whatever it might be. So I decided that I would choose one of these spots um, mm-hmm. and rehearse and, and and make that my deadline, you know, make that my aim to, to thrash the script into shape. And Joe said she'd work with me on it. So the two of us having a, having a collaborator is, is really important. Yeah. Someone to bounce ideas off, someone to, you know, try out the script for someone to say, that's a bit long, that's a bit boring, or just to help shape a few characters, give you, it's, it's really someone to bounce ideas off and someone to, to collaborate with. So, Having had that, that's all we needed, really. And um, with a focus, with a with a, a desire to put it on, I decided I was going to put it on as not as a rehearsed reading. I wouldn't be reading the script. I couldn't see how that would work with a one man show. I'd bore, yeah. bore the pants of everybody. So I just thought, right, let's let's learn it. Let's do it as if it's a full blown production. Yeah. Exactly how I would stage it. Exactly how I would put it on in a theatre. It's just in the rehearsal room with a few chairs around no lighting um i did get somebody to put some sound effects in which helped a bit of music bit of atmosphere but it was during the daylight on a sunday um Mm -hmm. i got into costume i had a costume um what few props i could pull together so it was um you know it was a properly presented piece on a lunchtime on a sunday and i Mm -hmm. learned it and it played through in an hour and it was really well received i got through it um (laughs) and uh the company of 10 decided to sponsor me to take it to the camden fringe Oh wow! Which we did, got some great reviews, and I thought, okay, so this show works. You know that you kind of think, well, okay, um, it, uh, it, it's there, it's, it's there. It's, I mean, because it's out of copyright, obviously, it's an adaptation of Stevenson's script. But I tried to use as much of his words and language as I could. And so, obviously, when you, you're writing it, you have to adapt it. You have to put certain bridges of dialogue in of your own to connect scenes or just to to get you to the next stage but wherever possible i've used his words completely um, and i followed the chapters of the book so whereas other adaptations may go off into imagination and um, they'll give you a, a different version of the hyde story or the jekyll story or the whole thing i've seen various various versions and interpretations all really good um this but this was just a very traditional telling of the story so it's actually quite suitable for anyone studying the text that GCSE or A-level you know I get a lot of um, it's been very popular with schools and students who are coming to see it parents bringing their teenagers along to try and uh, to, cause, cause, you know because it literally does follow the, follow the book so that um, uh, the stretch of it um, so yeah uh, that 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 was it and then from there then I, that was 2014 I did that um, we went to Camden Fringe and then I put it away for a <laughs> few years and then um, my daughter was um trying to raise funds to go to vso uh voluntary service overseas and she had to raise a certain amount of money to do that and it was so uh, that's a charity i thought well okay why don't i resurrect it see if i can do one-off performance um and i don't know sell some tickets and see if i can get people to come along that was mm. uh, in the end uh, we did we only planned to do one show but because we hooked into the school's um thing and because it was on the text we we sold out within like hours and we had to put a, another show in because the demand was so great and then we put another show in again because that show no. sold out within yeah i've never i've never experienced that before or since in one day <laughs> i would put it on sale walk around the park probably learning some lines for some other show um and I keep checking my phone and and see that the ticket sale numbers were going up so anyway so we managed to do three shows in the end sold out oh. in watford um and then um in the in the meantime i was developing drama king um and so now i have two shows that i 
I thought, right, let's let's get them both out on tour now, which is the next stage. Yeah, well, I mean, you have two one-man shows in your head now, and then <laughs> just like the amount of line learning must have. I mean, obviously, you've you've got a good grasp on it, but you know, like, is like I can see like one half of your brain being Jekyll and Hyde, and the other part being Drama King in a way, and then there's kind of a there's kind yeah. of a nice kind of balance in there now, right? Yeah, it's um, it, it, the line learning, I have to say, does get a bit boring and tedious after a while i mean you it does you, it does. you know i mean I, I when you people say how do you manage to learn all of that well d- don't forget i've written it so yeah. for, for for all that time i was writing and rewriting the script and everything the lines do start to pop into your head because you're constantly saying them so it's not that i suddenly start on the first day of line learning with a script that i'm not familiar with you know there's it doesn't take it well, it doesn't take that long, relatively speaking, to learn it all because it's already there. Mm. What is actually harder to learn is is that obviously over time, every t- every single time, every single performance, in fact, I've changed the script in some way. Might be a making some cuts. Maybe I put a whole chapter back in into the script at one point. Then I took it out again. <laughs> then I might change the tense in which I'm doing a scene or. And or I might think, you know, or it can be a small center, a word, anything. I keep making small changes and have done ever since I started doing it. And that's the hardest thing to unlearn is that when you come to learn the script again, the muscle memory is so fixed that it's harder. It's almost you spend most of your time trying to learn the new stuff and the changes that you've made as much as you're trying to just remember the script. Yeah. I find now that um, if I haven't come to it for six months, I can walk around the park and pretty much record the whole thing, but there'll be just moments where I forget or I've just forgotten because, and what, what it'll be is it'll be because I've changed something and I can't remember if I've changed it to that or that. And I have to look at the script to remind myself what it is. So um, that, that, that's the, that's the one thing about doing one man show, especially when you have gaps in between is having to think, right, here we go again. I've got to get these lines into my head and it, yeah, like I say, you just have to, just have to plow through to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> but that, that's what I find. And then with drama King again, you know, you spend three years writing the script. Well, when you come to finally learn it, you do half know it really. And then mm. it's, it's not, it's, it's no, it's no difficulty keeping two scripts in your head because, it's like you probably know when, once you start to say the first few lines that's right the next yeah. lines they just seem to come automatically it's knowing the it just just comes the, the brain just works and just leads you through the script mm. um it, uh, but being fluent with i i my i think the secret certainly with with my shows or trying to feel confident with my shows is being absolutely 100% accurate on every single word and line that i say and and fluent with it so that i don't so that i could walk around and just blah, 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 i could do the whole thing in half an hour just rattling off the script without thinking without just muscle memory just telling me now you never i never quite achieve 100 percent accuracy i know that it's always something that i fumble in a show or you know mix them but i'm pretty i would say 90 i'm 98 accurate on the lines you know yeah and 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 because because what what I found is that in performance that if I go wrong I can tell when I've gone wrong on a line and the trouble is that in the middle of a performance my brain will go oh you went wrong there uh, uh, it, uh, is uh, have you is, uh, you know your radar is saying is the next bit you're saying correct something went wrong 
uh, and so it just distracts you momentarily from what you're actually trying to do. Um, the worst, the worst case is that you can dry as well. If you're thinking about that, suddenly oh, yeah. your mind goes blank. So to me, it's like, it's, it's vital that it's absolutely bedded in, which is why you just have to be <clears> going <throat> over and over and over. It's, it's almost like a, it becomes like a paranoia to a yeah, point. I almost does. feel that if I don't run through the show in my head, in the space mm. before I perform it, mm. something's going to be missing. It's yeah. the, I wouldn't say it was a superstition, but it was interesting that, sorry, I, I, uh, it was interesting that um, I did Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, I did the Watford Fringe. I did both shows at the Watford Fringe mm. um, the weekend just gone. And I did Jekyll and Hyde and I was very, very accurate on everything. Even got all the changes I'd made to the script. It was 99% accurate. And that's because I maybe, I my build-up was, I repeated the tech script many times in that build-up and also on the day in the space mm. uh drama king for one reason or another the tech went on much longer i didn't have that that period that i built in for my planning to run through it before i did the show right. and i was much uh i was much less accurate on the lines overall in that one and it really showed and so i suppose it just proves my point to myself that despite the that it can be a bit tedious to keep going over it and, and so on. There's value in doing so, you know, mm -hmm. um, it basically means every time I come to do a show, I perform it twice because I do it once to myself yeah. walking around and then I do it to the audience when they turn up. So yeah, <laughs> so there you go. No, it's, I relate entirely because, you know, we had a great conversation on over zoom, I think uh, earlier in the year, because I was preparing for my own one man show that I was doing in, um, in Guildford, uh, which is my final project at DSA. Um, I'm not sure if I told you the title or anything, but it's called, well, you've got the script now. Yes, that's it? right. Uh, yeah. Inhibitions in Ethanol. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's a one man show based in a pub. And it's a story about what the barman sees from behind the bar. And uh, I'm in the process now of, uh, <laughs> I haven't quite put it in a drawer, but it, it's sitting on my desk every day, just kind of staring at me. So I'm like, we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to have to make some changes, that, that type of thing. Um, I've got some potential there, but I think it needs a little bit of reworking. But uh, but I remember entirely, uh, I relate entirely with what you were saying just now. I had like a week in the studio in Guildford and I did it like I, th I thought, right, I'm not going to do this every day because, as you said, it will turn into a paranoia, as you said earlier. Uh, so like every day. So I thought, OK, I'm going to have four days. I'm going to book the camera out on the fourth day. So I've got three days to rehearse it, maybe run through it twice every day. And so you run through it twice, you run through it twice. And then as you said earlier, it's like sometimes you get to a point and you go, like, well, in my case, I got like 80% through it. And then I, my mind just went, wait, what comes next again? <laughs> and and then you think, oh no, wait, okay, wait, don't panic. Don't panic. It's it's all, it's all there. And then you have, to, you have to sort of look at the script and go, okay, that's where it is. But well, funny enough, I have a small confession to make actually in the actual recorded version, because I was, I don't know if you've had this, but I was so in the moment and I did it. And then I, when I watched it back, I said the same line twice in one section. So I said it once, I said another thing and it's supposed to uh, sort of another line supposed to be there instead. But I said the same line as before and I didn't realize it until I watched it back and I was just thought, God, all that preparation just gone right down the fucking toilet. And I, was just, <laughs> I was just like, oh, never mind. But anyway, but it was a really, really fun experience. And uh and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to reboot it. And, you know, that's cool to hear about what the Abbey does. I might look into that, actually, and probably get get some trials. Just trial it down there and see, see if it works or not. So that's a good mm. good idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, you mentioned earlier about um, 
uh, Jekyll and Hyde being linked to GCSE and A-level text and everything. Mm. So from adapting it and reading it and performing it as well, I mean, from my, I, I've read the text since I, since I saw the show, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful novel uh, or novella, I should say. Uh, I, it stands for so many things, like where in my case, I get from it someone trying to discover their darker side, but by doing it in a way that kind of plays God, and like you are, you are going inside yourself. I found a lot of parallels with uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, actually, in a way, mm-hmm. and it's like someone who is willing to go to Victor actually builds a man in his own image, the creature, whereas Jekyll wants to, he creates a persona in his own image, but it's not him. And, you know, I think it's, there's this lovely parallel of playing God and how the power of ambition and how ultimately when you do play God, it ultimately leads to death. So Victor dies as a result of creating the creature and Jekyll as Mr. Hyde, swallows poison and and dies as a result but he's mr hyde he's lost himself entirely and so it's his ego his darker side which consumes him in a way and I, and it gets to a point where he can't control it anymore and i think in your piece especially you had that lovely moment where you you were you were jekyll and then suddenly you could slowly feel and, and that bit where you go no 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 and then you become Mr. Hyde, and that shows like the grasp is so strong on it. Um, so that that's sort of like I've got some more ideas written down here, but I want to get your version of it. What does the what does the text mean to you from spending so much time with it and the message behind it? Do you think? Yeah, uh, it's. I think what's interesting about when you when you delve into a novel like Jekyll and Hyde is you think you know the story, and it's only when you start to actually really read it and work on it and tell it back to people that you realize you didn't really know the story at all yeah um yeah i mean uh, you know what's it um uh, uh uh we're giving the story away but that's fine because i think most people know this <laughs> it's, it's but a, yeah i mean the, the whole the, you you think it's uh you know split personality jekyll becomes mr hyde but um there's 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 so much more behind it obviously there's the whole victorian when it was written um and this whole thing of the victorian gentleman and putting up a front to a public face um whereas you know you might have certain desires or sexual orientation or things that you want to uh do in your private life that you just just dare not be exposed in any way um and so so behind that so behind that what jekyll wants he he knows that he's got two sides to his personality one which is the he is an upright doctor he wants to do good he wants to do research he wants to help people's lives and on the other side he knows he has this what he calls his depraved side the side that plunges in shame i don't now stevenson never goes into any detail as to what all of that is you Mm. have to as an actor kind of or reader imagine what jekyll would gets up to in his spare time if he was you know had license to do whatever he wanted to and so obviously I have some ideas in my head to help me kind of just imagine that as he talks about it but we never it's never it's left to the imagination just just the point is that he has this kind of dark side which in the Victorian society if it was exposed he would be you know shamed and and cut off and everything else so he has this public face which he needs to preserve so he tries he tries to separate the two natures you know so that what what, what he wants to achieve with his experiment is that he 
he splits his personality so that he can be totally good and just follow one path and be good and do that. And at the same time, yes, follow his other path, uh, the, the darker side, if you like, again, free. But what happens is when he creates the potion is that he, that doesn't, that doesn't happen because he conducts the experiment when he's, he's conducted this potion, which is going to split his personality. He, he drinks the potion. And then when he, when he, he becomes Hyde, when he comes back to his former self, um, away, from, what happens is he's he's still Henry Jekyll. He's still the same person, but with a with his div, he, he's still the composite person. He's still the same person. Mm. What split off from him is the purely evil side of his nature. So uh, he's not his experiment doesn't actually go the way he wants it to in the first case. And also, it was like when he ex- conducted the experiment, he was doing it he was full of vain ambition. He was full of vanity and everything. So his evil side took hold. And that's why Hyde was projected as opposed to if he'd been doing it while he was uh, doing good and, 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 and under honest um, ambitions and, and being a very good person, then he, the, the, the thing that would be the other side of his personality could have been the very good side. So he could have had a purely good personality and still be Henry Jekyll. Mm. So it, anyway, that, that's one aspect that I didn't realize. And then the other thing that probably brings it in as modern residences is all about drug taking and thrill seeking and um, addicts, you know, it, it's about addiction. He, mm. once he's gone down the path of Hyde through the use of the drug to a new life, a new freedom to be able to express himself and do all the things he wants to do that he, he can't with his public face. It's, it's, it's too, it, it's too attractive to him mm. he wants more of it and so he takes the drug more often he goes out as Hyde more often and he he's reveling in his adventures and he thinks he's safe from it all he thinks he's he's got his whole life set up so that mm. whenever he wants he can become Jekyll he can be Jekyll the good Jekyll pursuing all his interests and, and being a good man and doing good and then whenever he feels like it he can spring into the sea of liberty he says and become Hyde but obviously what then uh, happens is that he out of his control is that the evil side starts to take over the potion stops to have the same power that it did he needs to take it more often in order to restore himself to jekyll and then gradually the story goes so 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 basically you see someone who's been that thrill seeker taking the drug being the addict to the life they were leading suddenly sees the whole life crumble and despite him trying to to trying to stop trying to say no more to that life he can't he, he's powerless to to it and um mm. obviously he ends up yeah you know dying, dying. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but the irony is is he is himself but he isn't when he dies at the same time and that's yeah. interesting but just hearing you say that it, it's there are so many parallels well, not parallels but there are so much you can take from this story like you said addiction it's the desire to find oneself entirely and you know discover your your darker side and you know it's it's almost like you can have connotations of like alcohol abuse like today you know there's drug abuse and everything everything that you find there's i could probably even say social media even now it's just like you become it's like in life you are henry jekyll but on instagram you become edward hyde and it's (laughs) and you project this image of not necessarily evil i'm not saying (laughs) If someone has Edward Hyde going around with a broken stick in his hand and with blood all down his <laughs> all down over <laughs> anything, slight spoiler, but hey, um, yeah. 
but yeah, but there's it's so interesting about the facets of human nature and the sort of the double nature of human beings in a way and how we are split ourselves. But I think one thing we have over that one thing that Henry Jekyll sort of, well, some of us don't have, but is that there there is a very good balance that we all exercise every day. This exercise of keeping ourselves in in the good and not too much in the bad and you know and i think it's also a would it be fair to say that ambition or letting your evil side you know you've got to keep that in check otherwise it's just going to take total control would that be a fair thing to say about the text um yeah 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 i think so Uh, it's uh i think i think that i think you've got to see the novel in the victorian context of course yeah and the characters, the way they behave, the way that, why Jekyll does this. I mean, nowadays he, he wouldn't be worried probably about half the things he gets up to. <laughs> um, it's that uh, it's that Victorian way of being, and the fact that I mean, another another theme that is in the novel is um, is friendship and the way that Utterson, who is Jekyll's best friend and 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 looks out for him and and yeah. is very suspicious of what's happening with this Hyde, who he's, he assumes is a separate person. Mm. But Utterson does everything he can to preserve Jekyll's good name. So even though he feels that Jekyll may be being blackmailed, that Jekyll is involved in things that he really shouldn't be involved in, that actually crimes are being committed here by Jekyll, um, even if it's covering something up or it's... Uh, so and Utterson is, is a lawyer, a friend, a very, very, very honest man. And yet his first priority is to Jekyll, his friend, and protecting his good name. Um, and because of that, um, I think, you know, that's that's at the core of the piece is is the, I think, I suppose another re- resonance with today is, you know, um, people who just, they can't be themselves. I suppose you could call that, if, it, if it's a, je- a case of want somebody wanting to say what gender they are or be accepted for um mm. what, what sexuality they have uh, um and people that are reluctant to or, or worried about coming out or, or being honest about that or being open about that um that that again is is inherent in this in this p everything that jekyll does is to try and preserve his public persona he but if he was honest with himself and with the world none of this would happen you know um it's it's becoming easier in our society now, but in Victorian times, it was a big thing. And mm. also, there was another strand I didn't realize, but when you do research into things, you you find that obviously uh, in the Victorian times, we did a lot of uh, the empire grew. There was a lot of um, going into other nations and things, and yeah. the Victorian society was opened up to the w- other ways of living by other other nations, other other peoples, and and so on, which was much freer and um uh than than the victorian society and, and there was a real um excitement and and fascination with these new worlds that were becoming opened up to to uh, people's consciousness i suppose in victorian england so there's also something around that as well in all of this um, but it just comes it all comes back to somebody uh not being not wanting to to to, to expose their true self uh, and people rallying around them to try and protect that that reputation mm. yeah that's fascinating um as you were saying i did had some yeah dangers of ambition draw some parallels of frankenstein we've covered all that already <laughs> uh yeah do you think um do you think there is a hint of um like be careful what you wish for in a way 
with with this text and like you 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 want to discover something that that involves a lot of danger like drinking an experimental potion in a way do you think there is a hint of that in in this text um well he he, he knows he's taking a big risk yeah. he knows that uh, he doesn't know when he takes the potion he doesn't know what's going to happen he could die he could you know uh, he he knows he's risking death but he is so um he's so desperate to unlock uh how he feels this is in 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 the case of when you talk about ambition the ambition is almost separate i think because i think jekyll has ambition he has a lot of ambition to do good to be a great medical man scientist do research uh, and so on um and his ambition is 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 there but what's a t- what what tips him over is the vain ambition he not only wants to do all this but he wants to be seen to be doing it he wants to be famous he Mm. wants to be celebrated and lauded he's a very you know a popular he he would run great big meetings at the national scientific society or royal society or whatever it might be He, he would he would hold court he's extremely confident um but I think he's also a, sh- a bit of a showman. That's how I see Jekyll. And so there's this vanity that goes with it. And it's the vanity that unhinges him. So whilst ambition is a theme in the play in that sense, um, it's the van- it's the vain ambition that that is the thing that that scuppers him. Whereas when he's just when he's I think when he's taking potions, when we're talking about the Jekyll and Hyde thing, I think that is about yes, trying to preserve the public persona so that he can do that but also he um he 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 wants to he wants to free himself from the shackles of 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 uh of this restraint that he's constraint that he's under the whole time he's so passionate i suppose he's such a passionate man that he feels like he's a hypocrite because one side of him wants to do this but the other side of him desperately wants to go down this path as well yeah. um and it's that battle of being a hypocrite i think and not being able to be himself that that drives him to to try and find a solution to this so he he in his head he wants to be able to go off and just be good and do all of that and then at the other side he wants to go off in secrecy in safety and follow another path where he is still his true self but he, the two things in the Victorian world that he's in cannot coexist together. They have to be separated. If he mm. can separate them, then he can lead two separate lives and and be satisfied with that in a way. Um, he's still not coming out. He's still not being open, is he, to the general public as to who he is? But yeah. I think that's what he's he's trying to achieve. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it really, really does. He does. Um, I think that there's a lovely thing about uh, I've, I've written down here um uh faith and science how you can't tackle those big f- philosophical questions yourself or with others you know trying to know or playing with forces beyond your control ultimately leads to death if that makes sense <laughs> it's just a stream stream of thoughts really uh but yeah but there is a there is a deadliness in in that concealment isn't there you know i hope i'm not repeating myself mm. here but you know there is a you conceal part of your of your soul or of your of your physical self Mm. to sort of keep you going in a way and like you said earlier the victorian times if you weren't part of like the well what they called the natural order in adverted commas you were sort of 
you were outcast, you know, you were cancelled, like as we say today, cancel culture, but in the Victorian times you were <laughs> it's like you wouldn't receive your post in the mail or anything like that. And it'd be like silly things like that. But um yeah, I just well, I would say what 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 yeah. what 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 happens with Jekyll when he becomes Hyde and what stops the whole plan really for him or what is the turning point is that Hyde because he's tried to keep Hyde at bay for so long he's tried to he goes through a period where he says i i, I must choose between them and i cannot continue to be both people okay. so he chooses to stay as jekyll and he for two months he tries to lead a life of severity and and good and everything else and yet the struggle the inner struggle is is there so that he finally takes the potion again to become this is the addiction piece this is the you know cannot uh, avoid it going down that path but because he's kept his inner being pent up for so long the moment he unlocks the evil hide it's as if hide comes out with all that pent up energy frustration at being locked yeah. caged in so long and he yeah. commits a murder and it's the murder that is the turning point because not only does jekyll have memory of what hide gets up to this is this is something that he jekyll cannot uh, cope with at all that he's caused the murder mm. but also um uh yeah i, I mean i mean and, and i think and he he then decides you know that's it I, I must stop it but i think if you're talking about like somebody going down a path of taking a drug or taking risks or doing something it, you you sometimes aren't aware of the consequences that that could lead to whether it could be the death of you the death of somebody that you're involved with as a result of your actions and consequences mm. um drink dr drink driving i suppose or something like that could come into it you know um that that risk taking that could lead to uh, a serious occurrence um, yeah. is also a part part of it and it's what like i say turns jekyll to try and stop that happening and then of course hyde now can't live the life that he wants to because he's a hunted criminal so mm. the whole thing is is for both both characters it's a it's a terrible occurrence um and it stops them living the either neither of them can live the rest of their lives as they want to yeah um, there's no coming back from it really yeah and there's there's kind of a hint of um it's a bit uh, of a tragic story really isn't it it so... is yeah yeah <laughs> i was thinking like just now you saying that there's a hint of like depression in a way maybe this is uh henry jekyll's way of you know what well, the, the the feeling i get now is this kind of subjugated or kind of concealed um depression in a way from jekyll's part i think the the, the final i mean even just like with the final line of the text let me just see if i can find it it's like uh here then as i lay down the pen and proceed to seal up my confession i bring the life of that unhappy henry jekyll to an end and it's just even that small bit. And then I'm start thinking now of someone trying to present themselves in a different way. Do, do you think there's a, I get the vibe of escapism in a way. He wants to escape from his core self and become this, this person that has this, this, this charisma. I think he, that he doesn't have naturally. Would that be a fair thing to say? Um, no, I think, well, I would say that Jekyll has charisma. He has all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think Hyde has it as well. I think there's a, there's an, a, a, like I say, it's left to the imagination what Hyde gets up to. Um, you can imagine he gets up to just about everything it's possible to get up to. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he has such 
well, the, my imagination of Hyde is that he is so powerful. If you're in his presence, you 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 cannot take your eyes off him. You're repulsed by him, and yet, in some ways, possibly excited by him as well. Um, do, do, do you know what I mean? He gets up to yeah, goodness yeah, knows yeah. what he gets up to, but he gets up to it. Um, he has the money. He has the money that Jekyll has. I mean, he gives Hyde his own existence financially and his own house and good clothes and things like that. Um, so Hyde, you know, if you had the means in those days and the money, I guess you could pay for all sorts to to happen and uh, 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 and all kinds of things. So I think. Um, yeah uh so i think char- charisma is something that they that they both they both have mm. a lot of yeah mm. yeah i mean it's, there's that animalistic side of of both as well which is quite interesting that charisma sort of and the natural urges in a way i mean the, the, there's kind of a lot of that instinctiveness about about this text and about these characters in a way and it shows human beings in a way that you know as you as we've been saying for the last sort of few minutes is that concealment and that need to really hide something within a society which would banish you if you were to mm. acknowledge that in a way and and i think there's a really interesting thing and i think that's why it's just one of the most celebrated pieces of text i think over over uh, the last uh, 20 years yeah it's, i think i think because there's so many themes running through it yeah so, so many yeah. interesting themes for people that are still relevant today um, yeah absolutely yeah it's just shy of 60 pages and it says so much about a lot of things um so just got a few more questions for you uh today mark i think sure. we, this is a great it's been great to hear about the messages behind it and i hope anyone listening or watching has had the chance to take from this you know if, if you do have any more questions about it please do send them in uh yeah i'm just from a dram- dramaturgical perspective i know we talked about this earlier in the year but how did you go about creating the one-man show okay so um going back to the beginning i mean you take the novel um i think i photocopied it is what i yeah. did each page put it in a big folder and then just went through um well making cuts basically um <laughs> so thinking what what are the key elements where's an awful lot of narrative that isn't required for a one-man show and you, you just you just start making cuts and and, and so on um with a pencil and and rubbing it out and making notes in the in the in the margin and that you know that 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 process can take ages i mean yeah. if you especially if you're putting the script down and putting it back but basically you get to a point where you've been through that process and you and then you've read it mm-hmm. through and then maybe you've rubbed a bit out that you cut because you think oh no that actually that's quite good i'll keep that back in and then you might write down you think well i'm gonna have to bridge between this bit that i've cut here and then so you start writing notes in the in the margin then when you when you've got it to a point where you think well i've now got this structure you might read it through and see what the timing is rough timing so if you're still at two hours long you need to go back and keep cutting or doing something right but if you're reading it and it's about i don't know an hour an hour and a half so you think right okay fine then then i would just literally type out the whole thing as if it's a whole now first draft of the piece And then start the process again. So in that, I've got everything I need, you know, beginning, middle, end. I've dis- One of the hardest things, actually, uh, but once you crack this nut, and this is the case with both my one-man shows, is how to begin, how to, how, what's the in to the story? Yes. Um, it, do, you set, do you tell the story in the first person or um, the third person sort of thing? Do you, so, so do I, you know... I, I couldn't see how I was going to tell the story. Do I tell the story as Jekyll or as Utterson or 
both or do i do i have a separate narrator who's kind of how, how do i structure this as a one person show you know like um and keep the keep the thing moving and i i can't remember now how it came to me but there's a <laughs> he's only mentioned once in the in the novel but inspector newcomer he's only mentioned i think he's, he's not a, it's not a big part it's just that inspector newcomer was investigating the crime the murder that took place i thought well okay so the idea came to me that the setting for the show will be a, a police station a, a, like an interview like um, a conference room at a police station the day after the events at dr jekyll's house have taken place jekyll's died or whatever obviously yeah. everyone now knows what's gone on so we're in a in a so i thought if i set it in a police room and i have the inspector who kicks it off as if he's talking to public press whoever needs to know about this the audience for this is never defined he just starts talking to the audience who represents this group of people to set the scene that we are now going to hear about the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. Mr. Utterson has made a statement. He knows all about it. He's going to tell you the story, what happened. And, and so suddenly you have the premise. So it's like, you've got to find the premise of the thing. First of all, once I had that, then I knew I was dealing with the inspector handing over to Utterson. And the bit that I didn't know if it would work is can the inspector suddenly say, right now over to you, Mr. Utterson to tell us your side of the story. <laughs> and, uh, and we, well, we tried it. You came to see it. I did. It seems to work, right? One character literally hands over to another character. I've changed position on stage, become the other character and carry on talking. And then at some point, the inspector takes over again. Before I know it, I'm into hide again. And so, it, and, and, and I found the structure. Once you've got that, then writing becomes so much easier because yeah. now you can really flow with it. So you take your first script, you bash out get that kind of initial framework in place i probably that's where i've probably invented most of the the my own writing appears at the very start of the show to set the scene to, to do it but you try and do it in the style of stevenson's writing and then at some point you just it starts to morph into stevenson's writing um and from that point on it's just a question of reading editing the biggest part of writing or adapting is editing yeah um, any it goes back to what when you talk about one man's shows and solo performances stand-up comedy comes into that but everything i've learned because i've done did a bit of stand-up comedy as well i think that's the there's obviously a solo performer in me always has been yeah. one way or another but the what the one thing that i've learned and i'm sure other writers say exactly the same thing is it's in the editing in the mm. just constantly trying to each sentence and each line What's the most economical way you can say it? Where, have it, where is it overwritten? Um, and you have to be careful. You don't pare it down, absolutely, because sometimes within there can be something that reveals character or style or something. So I, I sometimes find I cut a line only to put it back in because it just feels that something's missing. It's an instinctive thing. Mm. It's just, yeah, you just go back through first draft, then you get a second draft, then you get a third draft, then maybe a fourth draft. And I probably got endless drafts of the same thing but each time something has changed in mm. it and then the other thing is turning it all into present tense so a novel can be written in the past tense but when you're performing it to an audience if you can transfer it into the present tense it becomes like it's happening now the audience tunes in in a different way so the entire novel if you read it it's always in the past tense reflecting what happened when you come and see my show it's entirely in the present tense. It's told in that way. And it's probably not something that's obvious to an audience, but when you, when I, if I tell you, you might think, oh yeah, um, that's right. It was in the present tense. Um, and, and it's, um, 
it's um it's a it's it's vital i find that's absolutely vital as part of the storytelling process so yeah and then basically you have your script i get my collaborator as we start working through it we realize still some bits are clunky don't work i go away i rewrite them we try them again you mm -hmm. pare it down to, you're aiming for an hour we were at the, at the beginning an hour which is what we achieved and then then at some point you have to say right stop changing the text now i have to learn it Okay, mm -hmm. and then you 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 make sure you plan that in enough time before the show. Course, um, yeah. You start to learn it. I walk up the canal, and then and then basically I would come back and just perform it in the early days to Joe in mm -hmm. her room. She'd sit there very patiently and watch me bash through it. Um, <laughs> give me, we'd talk about it. I'd go away, come back, and do exactly the same thing in the run up, just like you would rehearse any show. Um, you think about costume, you think about how you want to what bits of furniture props you need or don't need uh, you, you start to work on the moves and so through a rehearsal process a proper structured rehearsal process you know um that you would normally go through any show you, you it starts to come together um and that's it and then once you put it on i video it record it watch it back give myself pages and mm -hmm. pages of notes new line ideas appear I come back with a whole load of suggestions back to the back to the script, make a new uh, a version of the script, relearn it, restage it, re-rehearse it back out again. And every single show or performance I do, I try and video it if I can, yeah. uh, even rehearsals. I watch every single one, make loads of notes, keep doing it. I did it on at the Watford Fringe. I've got some changes. Even now, I still want to make to Jekyll and Hyde. It's a bit of a continuous improvement process. Um, and that's it. You know, you just, yeah never stop really um yeah. i would like to get to a point where i really do draw a line under the script um i'm almost there but i say that every time and uh yeah I'm still making changes yeah i was i was th i was thinking do you think you'll ever have a definitive version of a yeah i can't uh, uh, do any more with this <laughs> I, 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 well I, I think i'm almost there i think i Good. am almost there yeah Good. almost <laughs> no, yeah, no. The, the version I saw in Watford recently was you know i said i said it to you after the show but i thought it was spot on you know it was oh, a really 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 cool and as you said they're continuing like in um in real time that that that, that was a really nice touch as well because we the audience then followed you along with the story happening in real time in a way which was a really nice thing to do um i'm just thinking what else have i got down here things of ambition i know we've done all that one as well uh i think you you've kind of already you know you've answered that one from a dramaturgical perspective oh yeah okay here, here's one uh so obviously you it's adapted from a novella or a book um so how did you you probably already answered this but how did you sort of go about making a book into a piece of theater and how were you looking for key theatrical elements would you think okay this has potential or this has potential or is it just a case of finding the right words and therefore they are theatrical anyway well, uh, I think you just start with what you got. So you, you, you see, yeah. once you've done, a uh, like I say, the, the cutting and the editing of the first, second, third drafts, and you've got your, uh, you, you see what you've got. You can see whether you've got the right dr dramatic shape mm. for it. Because obviously, I think one thing that occurred to me, you don't want to show Hyde. Hyde is the, he's like the um, the climax of the, of the thing. Yeah. If you show too much of him too early, there's nothing to build towards. It just so happened that the structure of the novel doesn't reveal Hyde too early on. You get a little 
little taster of him, very short scene at the very beginning, which hopefully just hooks the audience in to want to see more of him. Really and does, then we yeah. don't we don't see him until really it's the last 20 minutes of the play. And then he is really the star of the show. But because you've been building up to that, that's that's the climactic piece. You So you're, you've got to see it as a, it's a story that must, this is why probably I chose it as well, because I knew that there was a climax to it. I could see where that was going to come. Um, so you're kind of looking for, uh, have I got enough uh, um, variation in it? So the inspector was an important character because Utterson does a lot of the narrating. He does a lot of the emoting and the telling of the story quite passionately. Um, but you can only listen to his voice for so long mm. and then you've got to change it. So the inspector who, you know, he is a bit of a graph old, you know, been there, done it all, seen it, inspector a slight possibly a caricature some might say but i'm hoping not i'm hoping i'm achieving something that's more towards a a character but nonetheless you know a london-based copper in the old sense you might have in victorian times um very wise but you know but but the the the, 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 there's a reason for that and that's because the contrast between the posh voice of utterson the posh voice of another character enfield and again dr jekyll those three characters are all quite similar so trying to make distinctions between them becomes less vocally although there are vocal distinctions i tried to make but the physical side of things their characteristics physically is another great differentiator but but so you need a voice in there that really changes it up. So quite deliberately, the inspector appears at the beginning. Then he comes in at a certain point when Utterson, when I feel like the audience has probably had enough of Utterson, but happily it it, it marries up with a, when we want to talk about the murder. So that's the inspector talks about the murder, not Utterson. So if you think about it in, in the novel, it would be Utterson talking about that. But I think it's the inspector. I've, you transfer things and then, then I'll introduce Enfield. And I'm thinking... Yeah, great. We've got another character coming in there. That's going to mix it up a bit, keep it interesting. Not too much of Utterson into the inspector, back to Utterson. Oh, now we can introduce Jekyll. Yeah, we've been building up to Jekyll. Oh, and then Dr. Lanyon appears. And so it's nice to feel that structure coming on and then the and then getting to hide at the end, as I say, as the, as the kind of climax and the build-up. <clears throat> it just works really well structurally. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful so, beautiful so. piece. Yeah. So when you yeah, so when you talk about what you're looking for in the script, it's all those sorts of things. Try and bring some humor in. It's mm. it's, it's hard to bring a lot of humor into it, but wherever possible, there are a couple of moments that the inspector could be seen as a slightly comical figure. Not he's not laughing at him, but he's a light relief. I suppose light relief is the thing I'm looking for. Pockets of light mm. relief wherever you can get it. Yeah. Pauses where you can. I have things where I, I write in my script breather. <laughs> so like, you know, after the first 15 minutes, breather. Utterson stops, puts his wine glass down, doesn't say anything for about 30 seconds, sits, mm. then starts to speak. These are all kind of things that I've got about five breathers in the script and they're really important to, to make sure that you give them the time to allow the audience just to, you know, take stock as well. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things like that. So you, that's another layer that you start putting on once you've got got your script and that's what i mean it's just a constant process of honing and then you have to put it in front of an audience and see how it plays and and then watch it back and see were you boring or not oh you know (laughs) uh, because that's what you're looking for you know does does it dip at any point you know yeah yeah. oh god i know that's too long i need to cut that i need to put something new in there i need to change something you can you can feel it sagging 
um and and it uh, so it was so anyway that's it i could talk forever about it because it's obviously a fa- process i find fascinating but I'll no, 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 absolutely <laughs> no, no no it's great to hear it man it's great to hear it um yeah i again you know there's that feeling of you know okay is this bit too long is this bit too you know, i'm talking about my own show by the way so but uh um but yeah but with yours i have to say the inspector had that you know if i made a slight spoiler on your show if, if, <laughs> if i may uh you get to the end of um yeah, jekyll and hyde your adaptation and it's been really intense and then suddenly you just go is it just me or is it hot in here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I get a bit sweaty during it. It's quite a physical show. And um I introduced I gave the inspector a handkerchief in his hand as if he's mopping yes. his brow all the time. But basically it's just because it gives me a respite to gives me a chance to wipe the sweat off without, you know, uh, <laughs> within character, as it were. Yeah. Uh, I like how you put in the in your script, you said, if the actor is sweating, then by all means, use, by a, all handkerchief. Means, use a handkerchief. <laughs> and, use, and it's a one, it's an ad lib, which I put in, which, yeah, like you say, it's it's a nice bit of humor at the very end of the show. You have yeah. all that build up the tension and then suddenly you pop it with the inspector, just the simple line and it, it diffuses it and it gets a, a nice laugh at the end of the show. And uh, it's a great way to finish it actually. And yeah, you see that, that was the suggestion to me from another actor who came to see it. I used to end the show with the death of Hyde. He took the potion, he died, lights came down, end of show. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it was suggested to me as I started the show with the inspector, why not end the show with the inspector? And um, during a run of at the Watford, the one I talked about previously, mm. in between those two two of the shows, I went away and wrote rewrote the ending, so yeah. that he then becomes the inspector. And it's things like that, you know, talking to people in the bar afterwards, getting a bit of feedback from people, and they say, "Well, about it," and 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 just being a, a just being alert to good ideas and good suggestions um, can make such a difference. Mm. Um, so I think it really adds something to the show. Um, yeah this this simple suggestion that someone said in the bar after the oh, thing you yeah know? You, you you pick yeah. them up and anyway and, and i know i've sent my stuff over to you and stuff like, i welcome any feedback from your on your part at all but sure but but yeah but you know you pick up things from different people and then sometimes i remember with my show you like you go to sleep at night still thinking about it and then you remember like another because mine's set in a pub you think oh why do, you, why do you remember that time with that oh that's definitely got to go in well we definitely got to use that you know you it's like you live with it from time to time. Of course, it's your show and everything, which is great, which is really good. Wow. Um, I know time is slightly against us right now because I know sure, you want to sure. shoot off to other things. So um, we've just got one more question for you today. But just before that, just thank you for, for A, just you're pursuing the idea of Jekyll and Hyde and performing it and just showing them that the work you've done and for sharing all that today. It's been really, really great to hear it, Mark. So thank you for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and um so yeah just to finish on this is something i ask all my guests which is what's been an experience or experiences that you've had to date uh in the acting world which you'll never forget oh gosh um well uh, okay i mean the the one that comes to mind really is uh blood brothers in toronto Mm -hmm. um so i i was playing miss i don't know you know the show, but of course, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Lyons is the father of Eddie, yeah. who's who's the the two the two brothers. One goes to a posh family, one goes to a poor family. Mm-hmm. Eddie uh, goes to the Lyons family. I played Mr. Lyons, so that was my my role. Um, but I was also contracted to understudy the narrator for five performances. So the narrator was um, a chap called Michael 
Burgess, who was a big um, Canadian star in Les Miserables and things like that over there. Oh, wow. Uh, but he knew that he had various, he used to do sort of, you know, um, gigs around the country, his own show. And he had five dates or so that he knew he was not going to be able to do Blood Brothers. So uh, on those dates, I knew I would be playing the narrator. And um, I just remember the the one night when I did it, um, because Blood Brothers always used to get a standing ovation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just just did every single show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, but there's just something about doing the narrator uh, coming on. Uh, I mean, I was part of the 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 the, the, the lineup and the bowing, obviously, in the standing ovation every night. So I knew yeah, what it felt like. But yeah. it felt something was very special about standing between David Cassidy and Amy Skye, who was playing Mrs. Johnson, um, right in the middle of them, and being the understudy. And I think David Cassidy just said step forward gave me the sort of please step forward and take a bow on your own as the understudy would come on and i just walked forward and took a bow in front of a literally a, you know a full house at the royal alexandra theater in tonto all on their feet all clapping i mean not 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 just at me you know they weren't like you know they weren't on their feet for me but as the whole thing but it was there was just something about that moment that just stays stayed with me forever really i think it was just yeah. like that as an actor when you imagine being on stage or imagine you imagine audiences you imagine applause maybe some sort of recognition for what you're doing i think in that moment that that at least i had it what you know that was a great moment for me i just say so yeah that's the one that pops into my head i if i if you gave me a bit more time i could probably think of uh, hopefully some others but um, there you yeah, go. but that's that's one hell of a story though isn't it <laughs> well it's a nice experience for sure yeah oh, but see, and my, and my um, wife was in the audience as well she she'd oh, abby, flown yeah. up, she'd flown over abby yeah so she was there as well that night and she managed to actually take a photo of it which i'm ever grateful for oh, of really? me stepping forward yeah yeah uh, just uh you know yeah uh, so i've got it in see- my scrapbook you know I want to see that picture. I want to oh, see right. that picture. Yeah. Well, by all yeah. means. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, if I see Abby in the future, I'll be like, hey, you've got that picture of Mark in Toronto. <laughs> and she'll be like, how do you know about that? And I'm just like, oh, I know about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Fan- fantastic. Well, that's one hell of a story. I mean, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Do you get all these, all layers, all just on their feet and just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's very, yeah. very nice. Very it's good. very nice, yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Oh, it, yeah, let's just have a time. Okay, cool. Uh, yes, Mark, thank you so much for today. Well, wait, but what a story to end on. I mean, that's just, a, I mean, again, I've said this twice now already, but oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, but Mark, thank you so much for today. I've really learned so much more talking from you and, you know, Jekyll and Hyde and um, I'm sure your other show, Drama King, as well, they're just going to go from strength to strength. And I look forward to the day where I think you'll come to me and say, I have a definitive version of Jekyll and Hyde. I don't need to do any more work. It's all there. That's all I'm going to do. It's all so. Now, of course, you get there. But I look forward to you know, more work that you do. Please keep up with these one-man shows. I'm dying to see what more ideas you've got. And, of course, good luck with the tour as well, which you'll be doing from later this year and into next year as well. Um, as I said, details down below, guys. Go get your tickets. It's an experience. If you're studying the text or just like the book, it's one hell of an experience. So get your tickets while you can and go and see Mark where you can. And um, so, yeah, Mark, thank you so much for today. Um, I've just... I'll finish the recording. If you just hang on after I finish, I'll say goodbye to you one-to-one. But guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This has been The Uncensored Critic. I'll be back soon. And, Mr. and Mark Stratford, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs>